0: Hey guys, John Paulemy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Saturday, January 23rd, and this is the weekly market update. So in this week's reality check, I'm gonna answer a question I think that has been on a few people's minds. I've gotten a couple emails slash DMs and Twitter. And uh, you know, Joe Biden's been in in office for a couple of days and signed some executive orders, but let's take a look at what I think is going to happen here and answer this question. Question is basically: how will Joe Biden affect energy, specifically oil and gas stocks? Well, it's becoming increasingly clear to me that Joe Biden is no progressive leftist that's going to change the country. I heard one WAG describe the administration as the Joe Obama. Administration. And I think that's what we're looking at. We're looking at a, basically a third Obama administration. Um, quite frankly, I did very well during the Obama administration. Um, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of the social policies, but uh, Obama and his administration was part of the neoliberal post World War II, um, you know, technology, big business state. Okay. And they're there to make money. They're not there to change the world. Uh, They do have constituencies that they have to play to on the left. They will do that to a certain extent, but most of it will be kabuki theater, posturing, and window dressing. Let me give you an example specific to energy. So you can actually go on and research this. I'll put links in the show notes, but the first two things here are some of the things that uh, first couple bullet points here are some of the things that. Joe Biden signed in his executive order, his first day in office. As a matter of fact, uh, so he has signed more executive orders in his first couple of days than any other president before him, including President Obama. I just thought that was interesting. And you know, look at the people that are in the administration. They're all recycled from the Obama administration. So there's not going to be any left-wing revolution Yes, there'll be some things that tick off conservatives and people that like liberty. But this is just some of the more of the slow burn of the decline and fall of the American empire. Um, And it's probably not going to end in this four or eight year administration. Uh, Updates to come. He's only been there a few days, but, uh, you know, I don't see anything that's making me want to pick up and move to, you know, another country. Now, let's get back to energy because this is going to be very positive, I believe, for some folks. Executive order, I don't know the exact numbers, I'll put the links, but basically here's some of the language from one of the executive orders. You know, protecting public health and environment and restoring science to tackle the climate crisis. They're big on the climate crisis, right? Do I think they really care about the climate? No. I mean, there's $700 billion being spent on renewables around the world each year. Um, there's, They need a crisis, right? H.L. Mencken said that... Government's filled with people that are constantly pointing out hobgoblins that are hiding in the woods that need to be slain. And that's who does it, right? Your little protectors in government. They're going to go out there and invent these hobgoblins that only they can go out and slay. So climate change is a way to get more money and more power. That's the way I look at it. I mean, you can call me a cynic. I don't think that the people in the Obama administration uh, or the Biden administration or the Trump administration could give one you know, rat's butt about the you know, so-called climate crisis. I mean, Obama bought, I went over that $20 million house in Martha's Vineyard and I showed the uh, floodplain. He's in a floodplain. He, do, he doesn't think the seas are gonna rise. And I actually had some, this shows you what kind of people we're dealing with in the world. I have to make this side note. People actually wrote in the comments, true believers, John, you don't understand. He has so much money that he does, it, it doesn't matter to him. He'll spend the 20 million, even if his house gets overrun by rising seawater yeah uh-huh. anyway back to this so you remember the video during the campaign when that 16 year old girl asked Joe Biden so innocently and sincerely will you ban fracking if you're elected I promise I'll ban fracking well what they're really going to do is it's going to be not one big legislation that's basically going to you know shut down the oil and gas industry that's not going to happen but what you're going to see is, a lot of cuts, a lot of stacking of hay on the camel, right? And what's the, you know, it's going to be death by a thousand cuts, if you will. But it's not really going to be a death. What they're going to do is they're going to do some things like, oh, put some more... Uh, regulations around methane and pollution controls and hassle the industry and go out and do more inspections and that kind of stuff. The other thing he did was, uh, because that's, if you read in the executive order, big thing about reducing methane emissions in the oil and gas sector. Another uh, one of the executive orders was protecting our air from harmful pollution, national emission standards for hazardous air pollutants. So they're going to go continue the war on coal and oil-fired electrical utility steam generating units. And I've talked about this before, right? One of the things you can do, even if a plant is making money and complying, they'll keep ratcheting down the levels like uh, for mercury or sulfur. I mean, they're to the point where they almost get undetectable and you will actually be in a meeting with the state or the federal government and you'll tell them, look, what you're proposing for a new rule over the next couple of years is not possible with the current technology that's out there. And they will tell you, well, go work with the industry and get the technology that you need. I mean, that's what they'll, that's what they used to say, best technology available. So that's another thing they'll do. And then at some point, you know, it's diminishing returns and then it's not worth the industry. This industry basically gets ratcheted down out of out of existence, it's not worth doing it, or you convert. Like I saw, I told the story of what Excel or Northern States Power did in the Twin City Metro area, right? They had some old coal-fired plants and they went to, you know, they used the, um, this legisl- type of legislation and they just went and either converted them to natural gas or they tore down the high bridge plant, uh, which was an old coal plant and built a natural gas fired plant. Well, that obviously lowers CO2 emissions, but it did other things for Excel and NSP. You know, when you're running a coal plant, you have this big coal yard, you have barge offloads or rail offloads, you have all these guys, you have two or 300 guys working there, Okay. If you, if you have a natural gas-fired power plant, you probably have you know one quarter of those guys. So now you don't have medical benefits to pay to union guys. You don't have pension benefits you have to worry about. So this is good for the um, uh, companies also. And guess who pays for it? The company doesn't pay the rate payer. You, you pay. They're not going to pay for anything. You want it. You got it. So they go to the, they go to the public utility commission and they say, okay, the federal government is putting this new regulation. We obviously want to comply because we're good stewards of the environment and and we want to take care of our stakeholders. And we, we really get this. And it's going to cost $500 million. And, uh, the public utility commission says okay 500 million dollars this makes sense and tack on 11 or 11, 10 or 11% for yourself as a profit margin there you go and then they pass they pass it on to you the client or the customer you pay they don't pay so um, that's what'll happen there so that's fine um, i don't see anything you know they canceled the keystone pipeline that's that i don't see any announcements about stopping rail transport. That's what's happening now. Um, there's some other pipeline expansions that are happening with the Ambridge. I'm not going to get into all that, but I think that, um, you know, these are, this is some of the window dressing. This thing was, you know, getting built anyways, you know, so, or if it did, it wasn't, it's not that big of a deal is what I'm saying. And, but yet they can go out and tell the, um, their constituents in the environmental uh, part of their party that, Hey, look at us, we're, we're doing this. But I don't think they're going to cancel fracking. They can't do that on private land. But they can ratchet down the regulations over time. And I think if they tried to do some things even on private land or intercede even more into the state realms of the states like Texas or Oklahoma, there the states are going to sue the federal government about you know it's going to get tied up in court. So nothing's going to happen. Drastic is what I'm saying. It's going to be a slow ratcheting down. Um. They suspended new oil and gas leasing and drilling permits on U.S. lands and waters for 60 days. I anticipate there will be some further reviews and some more, you know, they probably won't issue any leases, um, things of that nature. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I may be mistaken. Maybe, I, I you know, I'm not an attorney and I, I'm not a lobbyist, so I didn't read the legislation with a microscope. But I think if you already have leases issued to you, you can execute those. They're just not going to issue new ones. So basically like I put this bullet point here will basically be death by a thousand cuts. And ultimately none, none of these things individually are a death knell for the oil and gas industry in the United States, but collectively it's death by a thousand cuts and it will make marginal projects you know, not viable and ultimately will have the effect of raising energy prices in the United States. Now, what does this mean? Well, There's plenty of other places to invest. This doesn't affect Russia. I've been a big bull on Russian oil and gas. I mean, the companies are very cheap. They're going to continue, you know, as energy prices go up over time, which this won't hurt that. These these type of policies won't hurt that. You know, we're not going to have, I mean, what I'm trying to tell you is is that, you know, even during the Obama administration, we had a huge fracking boom. People forget that. Most of that happened during the Obama administration. And uh, so these people are corporatists. Um, they will basically smoke screen, obfuscate, and give little concessions and window dressing around the edges to keep their little constituencies happy. But in the end, if you give them money, they get in bed with you. That's about as blunt as I can put it. Uh, this will be great for certain oil and gas companies. So you'll have to be cognizant of where you're putting money because even a lot of the states are not amenable uh, to uh, resource exploitation, which I will get into another slide later. And I've talked about before, you know, if you're going to have this energy transition or whatever they're going to call it, green new deal, you still have to mine the stuff. I've said this, and I'll say it again. It's almost one of my mottos: if you don't mine it or grow it, you don't get it. You can't will it and wish it to happen. So, ultimately, you know, I already am of the view that we're heading for an energy crisis in the world, uh, vis-a-vis oil and gas in the next couple of years this won't this will help that situation it won't be the defining factor but you know it's not the end of the world and it's not going to make prices cheaper let's put it that way so there are companies that are low cost producers that we can invest in in other parts of the world that will benefit and take advantage this is what you do right you find the premise that is false and then you bet against it and as long as we're able to do that, there's no capital controls or anything precluding us from investing in most foreign companies. That's what we should be looking to do. And there will be opportunities here in the U.S., like I said. I mean, we'll have to see how it develops. But, you know, you're going to get some zealots here and there in the bureaucracy, and they'll be pushing the rules as far as they can. And there'll be court cases that, you know, tie some of this stuff up. But um, I don't see anything major here. But it won't be these won't lower energy prices, that's for sure. Okay, this is uh, oil markets are healing. These are inventories, total OECD, which is the Organization for Economic Cooperation Development, basically the developed world. These are total petroleum inventories in millions of barrels. As you can see, the chart, the vertical chart on the right is uh, millions of barrels. So that's like uh, 3 billion, 2 billion, whatever, you know, Uh, that dotted line going across the horizontal is basically... A rolling average of what inventories have been for the last five years and it's been about 2.9 billion barrels so the surplus of the five-year average is down to 119 million barrels versus 272 million barrels in june and we keep continue to head lower why because fracking has dried up uh, production is declining in the united states plus the opec uh, constraints that have uh, um, gone into effect now the other fascinating thing is these things have a tendency to overshoot as I've said before. And like I said, uh, demand I suspect is going to be coming back at some point. Um, Like I said, these people are the consummate political people. So expect this. I mean, I already had, I'm just gonna give you some anecdotal, somebody told me the other day, I don't watch CNN, I don't have cable, but somebody told me they took the COVID death tracker off. You're gonna see now this, now Fauci's back in, He's already moderating some of his stance, you know, the vaccinations. I forgot to put the chart up here. I should have. But uh, as of, I think yesterday there's a, there's a COVID vaccination tracker. I mean, there's been over 50 million vaccines given around the world. It's about, it's going up and the United States is like number one so far in issuing vaccines. Um, That's really been the key, right? Everybody's been telling us. So they want the, the DNC, the Biden administration, you know, they want a uh, they want to look good coming out of this. So what are they going to do? Um, expect downplaying cases, downplaying things. You're already seeing, you know, Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago, Mayor Mayor De Blasio. Yeah, we got to start maybe thinking about open bars and restaurants back up. You're here. You're starting to see the the you're starting to see the Overton window move right from Orange Man's out now. So now we need the economy to recover so that Biden can take credit for it, so that Democrats can take credit. And I'm going to tell you right now that what I think is going to happen, you know, uh, you know, thinking about this with all of the money injected, with all of the money that has been injected and will be injected into the economy, with all the pent up demand, when they open this up, we're going to have a boom. I think we're going to have a pretty decent boom and the economy is really going to take off. And uh, I'll get into that later in another slide near the end of this presentation, but we are going to, uh, this is kind of gonna play out like I think, we're gonna have a a mini boom. It's gonna be very inflationary and uh, it's going to, well, it's gonna be a crack up boom if you wanna talk about it from Austrian terms in my view, but we'll get into that later. And I think energy prices are the thing that's really gonna be the kick in the shins on this whole thing. I'm expecting energy prices to climb. We're already at over $50 a barrel, WTI, Um, inventories are coming down, fracking is probably not coming back to the level that it was before. If you listen to what Art Berman has said on Macro Voices and even on his blog, um, depending on how many rigs they can get back going again and how fast investment comes back, I mean, we're going to see US production continue to uh, go down. And in the context of a recovering world economy, that's going to lead to higher energy prices in my view. So this is positive for our, what we're, what we're trying to do. I mean, you see like in uh, late summer, it kind of peaked out and then we've been, you know, inventories have been getting worked down week to week. I was looking for this quote the other day. I was trying to remember it on a previous video, but somebody asked me like, when should you get into some of these things or why do you buy so early and you have to sit around and, uh, Ferg, trader Ferg made the comment about something like this on a Twitter feed that you have to buy when things, you know, some people say, well, just buy after the initial move. Well, you miss a good chunk. And this is a a, of the you can miss a good chunk of the move because a lot of the big biggest part of the move is off the initial bottom. Okay, the asymmetry. And you miss a lot of that by not buying. So you have to buy, get the conviction, do the research, get the conviction, and you might have to wait a year, two years or three years. But coming off that bottom, that rock bottom, is where a big chunk of that juice is, and you want to capture it. So this is what Marty Zweig says. He's a famous investor. Actually, Mike Alkin used to work for this guy. It's interesting. Marty Zweig was one of my heroes. I used to watch Wall Street Week with Louis Rukeyser, and Marty Zweig was a um, was a frequent guest. He also had a book that I basically read about 28 times um, uh, about uh, uh, investing, and this is what Marty says, he says, one of the frustrating things for people who miss the first rally in a bull market is that they wait for the big correction and it never comes. The market just keeps climbing and climbing. It feeds on itself in frenzied fashion and pro- propels prices considerably higher for six months or so and sometimes longer. So I hear this a lot. You know, I don't, You know people don't want to have opportunity cost of sitting and waiting. They want action. They want movement. They want serotonin releases. They want that pleasure center in their brain stimulated. They 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 want to click something. They feel like they got to do something. They can't just buy a position and sit and wait like we've done in uranium. You know, nothing happened in uranium for the life of this video series, which is going on two years now. And in the last couple months, a lot of the uranium stocks have doubled or done considerably better. And it looks like the, you know we're we're in a bull market now. Okay. And uh, so people are, missed that initial takeoff. They were watching the particular industry or watching the stocks and now they doubled in some cases or more. And they're like, well, I'll just wait for a pullback. But you know, this is like what uh, Marty's talking about here. You don't get the bull pullback. You don't get the big pullback. So when are, you, when are you gonna pull the trigger? If it's up 100%, he's like, man, I'm, it's up 100%. And then the next thing you know, the thing's up 200%. And while I'm waiting for this pullback, then, you know, then the thing gets away from you and you miss the bull market. So a lot of people ask me, what do I do? I, you know, I take positions when I, when I have a conviction based on research, based on my thought process and I've run it through my mind and I've run it through the ringer and I've tried to punch holes. And I say, you know, I I'm convinced of this, that this is going to happen. I E let's use for an example, higher oil prices, which I was talking about for a long time based on, you know, the cyclicality it's a commodity it's a it's an extractive industry you remember these conversations we've had and you know some of these stocks just got beaten down and so you got to buy them and you got to hold them and you got to wait and now you know some of these things you know went nuts and uh people are like well I'll just wait for the pullback or they've dm what do you think is going to be a pullback yeah i mean things pull back in a bull, bull market but if it pulls back five or ten percent are you a buyer then are you waiting for the big fifty percent correction? I and mean, that that's probably not going to come. So what do I tell people that are trying to put new money in? The bull markets are not over in these commodity stocks. They are they have been overbought up until you know recently. So what do you say? I don't. I'm not a market timer. I, I I'm terrible at it. I'm the wrong person to ask. So if I have conviction on something, you know, and I have a, a, a I'm going to allocate so much money to a position or to a to a theme then you know do it in tranches you know take up you know take 25 percent 20 percent of your dough and just buy a position now you're forced to track it it's mentally in your mind you've bought a position you have your money in it you're watching it then if there's a pullback you can add to the position at least you've got a position you know you can add you know tranches later on if it pulls back you know things happen uh individual You know, you can have a big day in the market down and it doesn't really affect, you know, you've seen that many times. You're like, why is the stock going down? There's no reason. You should just buy it. Now you've got cash set aside. You can do that. Or you can, you know, go 30% or 50%, whatever you're comfortable with doing. But just sitting there as this bull market continues away from you, waiting for the big pullback because you didn't want to sit and wait on the, you know, for the initial liftoff. Well, then you've made two mistakes now. So I just wanted to, you know, I found this quote, I I thought it would be interesting for people to see, because we did, I did talk about it in the past. Found this out there. Look, guys, this is amazing. I don't know if you remember, even before COVID, uh, back last year, or two years, around 2019, I used to put up the um, uh, track Central Bank easing versus tightening, and the um, Council for Foreign Relations is an excellent website that shows that, but this was a tweet that I saw, and it just shows, you know, the years and then the number of central banks easing policy, number of central banks tightening the net, and then the net policy. I mean, can 2020 be exceeded? I mean, 93 central banks were in easing mode. I mean, that's just crazy. And then, you know, people are like, well, we're not going to have inflation. I mean, what are you talking about? I mean, it's crazy. I mean, you're going to have inflation in the world. It's just going to happen when you have this many central banks just, you know, creating fiat currency ad infinitum. And I just thought this was very interesting because it just makes these points. I mean, it's just visual. I mean, look at the past. I mean, this is, this is like a factor that, ha- I mean, this is crazy. So something to keep in mind. Um, This was a tweet, a little infographic from Crux Investor on Twitter. You know, my major theme, I'm kind of adopting this phrase for my theme going forward uh, during the Biden regime and basically the probably the decade of 2020s. Heads I win, tails I win more. You know, uh, this energy transition, green, new deal, electrification of the economy, whatever the buzzwords are being used is going to happen. You know, somebody tells me, well, you know, somebody wrote me and they said, John, electric vehicles just aren't economical. I know that I'm the one that told everybody that I've been talking about that. I'm not the only one, it doesn't matter. There's two ways for a new technology to get implemented. Uh, It can undercut and be provide more value than the technology it's disrupting, or it can just be foisted upon people by government fiat. You know, they could just say, you know, that's what they're doing. We are going to, no more internal combustion uh, engines, powered cars will be sold in this state by X date. Well, uh, we will give, you know, cash incentives for you to buy electric vehicles. You see how this works? It doesn't have to matter. We've got to get out of the mindset, guys. I'm going, to, I'm going there again. I don't like the policy. Well, it doesn't matter if you like it. This is what's going to happen you know you're required as an investor to make positive returns not you're not a policymaker if you want to become a policymaker make a billion dollars trade this stuff and then become you know lobby congress and become you know create a think tank in Washington DC right now what we have to do is look at the world for the way it is not the way we want it to be and the way it is is everybody's going nuts for these EVs and this electrification and there is insufficient metals and materials to enable it. Look at this. This is a infographic. I mean, I don't know this is source is Bloomberg, but just even if these are close, look at this. I mean, demand increase in, in precious metals and materials between 2019 and 2030 for electric cars. You'll need 14 times more nickel in the next 10 years, nine years or 19 years. You're gonna need 14 times more aluminum. Okay, it goes down the list, 10 times more copper. That's just for electric car demand what about everything else just normal civilization you know one of my theses is it doesn't really matter if they do it or not heads i win because oil and gas is still going to be in demand and because they're constricting the supply by regulation and by perception the price of oil and gas is going to go up if it doesn't and they keep pushing more and more of the electrification tails i win even bigger because guess what If you don't mine it and you don't grow or you don't grow it, you don't have it. So on the one hand, you can go back, like I said, and read the Biden administration executive orders on stopping uh, oil and gas drilling. It was also talking about mining permits on federal lands. If you're going to stop everybody from mining these materials, how are you going to have the electrification of the economy? Okay, so what I'm trying to tell you is, is that you've got to look at things the way they are and there's a tremendous amount of opportunity. Uh, not everybody's going to be driving around in a $45,000 electric vehicle. But what they can do is they can force people to do it over time, okay? It's not going to be able to undercut an internal combustion engine in the the short term. Now, anything can happen in the long term. I, I will grant that. But for the time frame we're talking about, the investing time frame, speculating time frame, you know, if they're going to force this stuff, and these major manufacturers are all competing now, spending tens of billions of dollars on electric vehicles, there's insufficient material available. The prices will have to go up, and that will either incentivize new production or it won't. But in the meantime, that's a lot of scratch that we can you know, call out for ourselves. Again, heads I win, tails I win bigger. Or I win both, which I think is going to happen. I think oil and gas prices are going to go up, and they're going to uh, – do this, look at look at the, there's no way you're going to increase nickel production by 14 times. I mean, that's just crazy. The price would have to go through the roof. I mean, I guess if the price went high enough, you can incentivize enough production, but uh, there's going to be a tremendous amount of money that will be able to be made uh, as that happens. That's just not going to happen overnight. So these people are rushing to do it. These politicians are just issuing edicts with no idea about how you get from here to there. And that's the opportunity, right? The lack of information the lack of, you know, being good at math and physics is an arbitrage that works in our favor. So I talked about this earlier. Are we entering a crack up boom? That's kind of my thesis uh, with all this money that's being created. And this is just off Investopedia. So let's just read this and then kind of talk about it. And this is from an Austrian economics perspective. Now, as a caveat, I am not an expert economist. I'm a guy. I'm a guy out here trying to make a buck. I'm a speculator. But, you know, I'm a lay uh, layman, lay ec- economist that tries to figure this stuff out as best I can and talk to you about it on these videos. I want to get you thinking about this. So the crack-up boom develops out the same develops out the same process of credit expansion and resulting distortion of the economy that occurs during the normal boom phase of Austrian business cycle theory. In the crack-up boom, the central bank attempts to sustain the boom indefinitely without regard to consequences, such as inflation and asset price bubbles, which is what we're seeing already. We're seeing tremendous asset price bubbles, and inflation is now brewing. It's moving higher, okay? We've talked about that. The problem comes when the government continuously pours more and more money, injecting it into the economy to give it a short-term boost. That's what we're talking about, right? Listen to what the administration's saying. Listen to what the previous administration was saying. Listen to what Janet Yellen, your new treasury secretary is saying. And Powell's gonna do what he's told to do. Which eventually triggers a fundamental breakdown in the economy in their efforts to prevent any downturn in the economy monetary authorities continue to expand the supply of money and credit at an accelerating pace and avoid turning off the taps of money supply until it's too late so this is the situation that i think we're going to have you're going to th- you have this tidal wave of cash coming into the economy created money i don't think it'll be 8 trillion but there's going to be some level of trillions that are going to be conjured up OK, and injected it into this economy, whether it's five, six, eight trillion dollars into a twenty two trillion dollar economy. Then, as I said earlier, I am already sensing a perception change. I'm sensing a change in the discussion of this administration vis-a-vis COVID. It's going to start getting downplayed. It's going to start being talked about, you know, the vaccinations are happening. Like I said, go look it up. I'll put the link in there. Uh, people are on Twitter acting like nobody's being vaccinated. Over f- like close to 60 million people around the world have been vaccinated already. It's it's going up by a million or so a day. The U.S. is leading the pack. It's already got like 15 million people vaccinated. Okay, whether you agree with it or not, it's irrelevant. That's going to be the pretext, right? That's what the whole buildup of hope was around. We're going to vaccinate everybody, and then we're all going to be going back to normal, uh, some form of normal. We're going to open the economy back up. If you open the economy, it's like building up all that brush that dry tinder in that forest bed, that's all that conjured up cash. You throw the match of an opened up economy on that, okay? And people wanna travel, people wanna go uh, visit, they wanna go on vacations, they wanna spend money, and uh, wow, uh, you, have the, you have the possibility for a real fake boom based on all that conjured cash and that pent up demand and that um, animal spirits, if you will, okay? And I think that's what you're going to get. And I think you're going to have tremendous price inflation, you know, by the end of the summer, if if they open the economy up going into the, you know, this time next year, uh, people are going to be going, gee, what's going on? And then what's going to happen is what's going to put this thing in jeopardy is the bond yields are going to start going up. You've already seen that recently. As soon as they started talking up about this new uh, stimulus, if you will, bond rates were going up. Because the bond market was going. Wait a minute! You're gonna, you're gonna, <laughs> you're just gonna throw another three trillion, four trillion in there. What, what, who's buying all this stuff? And so, you know, they're not going to allow. They can't allow the free float uh, interest rate level to seek its own level, right? To regulate the uh, based on actual credit demand. Because if they did, it would bankrupt all the entire economy. The economy is so, so encumbered with debt at this point at all levels that you cannot get to a normalization of interest rates or it collapses the economy. There simply won't be enough economic activity to pay the interest. Okay. And so I think that's where we're heading. And I think one of the big catalysts is going to be, you know, I remember Jim Paplava financial uh, sense online. I recommend it. I've recommended it before Um, several years ago when they went to the zero interest rates, you know, these masters of the universe, these uh, PhDs, you know, thought they were regulating the economy by raising and lowering interest rates at the Fed, right? But once you get down to zero or close to zero, what's the mechanism that they were going to use to regulate regulate the economy? And he always uh, proposed the idea that the thing that will regulate the economy is energy prices. This is why I'm so bullish on energy. This is why I focus on energy so much. This is why I care about energy is everything, it's life. I mean, it is inculcated, it is the basis of everything you do. The calories you consume that fuel your body, the electricity that's allowing me to talk to you on this video, the car that's being fueled for you to go visit grandma. I mean, the uh, diesel that's required to bring the farm goods to your grocery store for you to get, it's all based on energy, okay? And for economic activity to take off, it has to be uh, done with energy. And if we've constrained the supply, we've constrained the supply of a lot of things because of COVID. We've added more regulation now with ESG mandates, perception. Uh, all these things are horrible. You can't have them. And I think people are going to find out uh, how fast these prices can go up. And that's, my, that's the thesis that I'm working from. And so uh, I, I think you're going to see substantially higher energy prices going forward. And if they do like, I think, watch for it. Let's watch for it. If watch this perception and Overton window shift towards opening up the economy, they want Biden to come out of the gates. They want that. They want, they want to look good. It's all about managing perception, you know, so they could say two years from now when the congressional elections, look at all of our policies, look how they worked. Well, it's just going to be, you know, uh, what are they going to do, keep everybody locked down for two years? There'll be a red wave in the congressional, uh, this is going to end. Now, watch how everything starts to shift. And you're going to see it anecdotally. Like I said, somebody can confirm this or not, but, you know, they've already taken the death, uh, they had a running total going w- during when Trump was in there about, every, you know, making it like it was a tragedy every time somebody died. It is a tragedy for those people. It's not a tragedy for me because I don't know the people. It's unfortunate for their family. People get, you know, 400,000 people a year, just in the United States die have smoking related diseases. No one cares, unless you're related to the person. They weren't banning cigarettes. So I'm telling you, the media is going to get off the hype train now because they want, they're, they're in on this and they want this economy to recover. That's how I'm looking at it. So uh, this is what I think is gonna happen. And then if you do raise rates to contain the inflation and they've already been talking about, we've talked about this, we've set the stage for all this guys in our discussions inflation has underperformed for a decade, we're gonna let it run hot. I mean, they actually think they can pull the levers and push the buttons and control all this stuff. They have no conception of that it can get away from them. And that's what I think is gonna happen. So understand what a crack up boom is, do some research, think about it. Um, I've listened to the other side, longer term, yes, technology and some of the other things that are happening in the world dynamically uh, long-term are deflationary, okay? But in the short-term, you can have short-term situations where that's not the case, short and mid-term. And I think that's where we're getting ready to enter. I mean, I just don't know how you stick several, you know, six, seven, whatever it's gonna end up being trillion dollars into a $22 trillion economy, and you don't have a crack of boom out of that. I mean, we're having the asset price bubbles. They're, they're everywhere. I mean, who cannot see them? And I think they go higher, you know, we're at a CAPE now, CAPE ratio, I talk about all the time, of somewhere like 34, which is historic, which basically, um, if you look at the research, says that you're going to have little or no returns or negative returns over the next 10 years with a big drawdown somewhere in there. And But that doesn't mean it can't get worse. You know, Japan went to 100 times on the CAPE. You know, we're at 34. So things can get even weirder and stupider and crazier than you ever thought. Okay, I like to show any kind of good uranium charts that I find. Uranium supply has basically been strangled. I mean, this is crazy. Restricted supply. I mean, it, last year, you know, close to 70 million pounds projected this year for, I mean, just negative, negative, negative as far as the eye can see. And yet they're building more and more reactors. I mean, the uranium stocks have reacted for some reason. I hope it's just not, you know, the annual false start. It seems to be that, um, you know, things are tightening in the market, but we haven't really seen uh, a reaction in prices. And I've said that before. You have to understand that. It's not like the oil market, right, where price action happens instantaneously. There's no, um, there are futures on, but there's no liquidity there. That's not a good price indicator. These things are done. These deals are done. There's usually non-disclosure agreements. The news eventually leaks out, but there's, the price discovery on uranium is so slow; it's hard to, um, you know, get real-time information on what's happening. But you know, I remain positive uh, on the supply. I stick to the supply-demand. I don't talk about it that much. There's not much more to talk about. Supply's gone down it's staying down, and demand's going up over time. I, I, I don't really know what else to say. There's not much to talk about. Yes, talking about individual companies can be productive. I suggest you seek out experts um, like um, you know Mike Elkin and his shop, and guys like Justin Hune. I'm a generalist. I don't spend all day every day looking at uranium stocks. I buy a basket, I move, and I my research, and I sit there and wait. And it's done well. I'm not the expert on it. Um, I'm looking at several things from a general perspective. What's cheap, and uh, I I try to learn enough knowledge about it to uh, you know. Take a position. Wanted to, as we're finishing up here, I just like—I don't know if I get a certain amount of shade and Freud from this or what—but I like tracking this stuff. Um, these politicians. I mean, are there really people? I mean, I, I guess I don't understand. You know, if you—they say if you want less of something, you should tax it, right? If you want less smoking, they raise the price of cigarettes, right? If you want, you know, if you want less economic activity, you put you raise the price of it by taxing people. Those exodus from New York State to Florida. I actually saw an article. I think it was in Bloomberg that, you know, Miami is going to become the new financial capital of the United States, just because of these nutty policies and taxes and of this these weirdos. I mean. Here we go, New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo proposes raising the top income tax rate of the state from 10.8 to 10.86 from 8.82. So you got a state income tax in the top tax rate of 8.82 currently, He wants to raise it in 10. Remember there's no state income tax in Texas currently. That'll change over the years, but right now there isn't. So New York City residents in the top tax, top income bracket would pay a combined city there's city income tax there and state rate of 14.7 percent 15 percent of your income to live in new york city that's why everybody's moving to florida that's why i talked about in a previous video goldman sachs and um some of these other shops are starting to move their operations to florida no one's going to sit around and just give 15 percent to these morons that you know don't know what they're doing why would you when you could pick up and leave Capital goes where it's treated best. And I don't know, who I don't know. I mean, we, we can have this conversation about taxes and what they really mean and if they're moral to have, but I mean, we are talking about a 15% tax rate for city and state income taxes in the city of New York. No one's, you know, people are gonna haul, they're gonna haul butt out of there, I'm sorry. And why wouldn't you go to Florida? And uh, so, yeah, I like watching these things, same thing. And all the states are the same, right, that are are these blue states. They don't do this in red states. And people say, well, you know, the economic activity, well, uh, we'll see over time, right? At some point, there's a tipping point, and you get a mass exodus out. And, you know, that's what part of the big, that's what part of this big bailout package or the stimulus package is for us to help city and state local governments that have been affected by COVID. No, they were, yeah, they were affected by COVID, but they were affected prior to that by their piss poor policies like this that got them into fiscal problems. Placating municipal worker unions and all the other things, all these pension problems because of the mismanagement for decades. And this is part of it. You should be lowering taxes. You should be rolling out the welcome mat where you have that twit bartender drove Amazon out of there. That was crazy. And now you're raising taxes. I mean, who's gonna stay there? Welfare bums and you know, people that are billionaires that don't care one way or another, that don't have any income. You know, this is another thing that you stoops don't understand out there. Wealthy people don't pay income tax, they don't have income, they have assets. The assets are shielded. That's why you have people talking about wealth taxes. They don't, these people don't have any income to tax. Who pays this? Okay some schlub that's got a small business or somebody making a cup, you know, 150 grand. If you think that that's rich in New York City, you're crazy. People living uh, in those big condos and billionaires like blue, they're not, they don't have any income. They don't have a billion dollar income every year. Okay, their income is shielded, okay? They have assets that kick up, and that stuff's all shielded through corporate entities. I mean, this is what I don't understand about people. It's like they have no clue. It's like corporate taxes. They shouldn't even have them. Do you think the corporation is paying the corporate tax? The clients, the customers pay the tax. They raise the prices to cover the taxes. We're going to show those corporations raise those taxes on Walmart. It gets passed through. Just like I told you on the Public Utility Commission, passes through the new plants. You want everything to be green? The utilities don't care. They'll put it in. You pay. They don't. And they and, and then they have you know they have their profit margin is negotiated. That's what the whole Puka Act during the Depression was about. We'll give you monopoly, you guarantee consistent electrical service, and we'll give you a set return guaranteed. That's what it's about. And, and most people don't have a clue how any of this works, and they get emotional about it. And because they have the one, they have envy. They're envious of. So they see somebody that has something and they want to punish the person. Okay. And that could be justified or may not be justified. You know, Charlie Bunger says envy is the worst of the seven deadly sins because it's no fun. You don't get anything out of it. So if you're going to go through your whole life being envious of everybody else and want to punish everybody else, instead of focusing on yourself and fixing yourself and pushing yourself forward, you are going to be an unhappy person. So anyways, I got a little bit off track there at the end, but this is not going to Uh, increase the wealth of the state long-term if this kind of stuff goes through more and more people are going to move to florida south carolina tennessee texas arizona these places they're not going to stay there at at, at least people that are like business people yeah the billionaires you know they'll have a little you know they have their little community around uh, i don't know all the neighborhoods in central park but they don't pay income tax anyway so they don't care okay uh that's it for this week um Appreciate the support, uh, good things are happening for the actionable intelligence alert newsletter. Uh, portfolio continues to perform well, subscriber base is really going up. Um, I think I had the, I'm having my best month ever for subscriptions and uh, I think people are getting value out of it. Um, quite a few people resubscribe, um, we're doing a lot better than we were a year ago. And uh, you know, I'm looking forward. I think this is really going to be our decade. Uh, this is really going to be a resource bull market based on uh, several things that we've talked about. And I think that uh, you know, take advantage of it because uh, this is going to be an opportunity for you to set yourself up. If you're young, it's going to be an opportunity to get yourself out of that cubicle. And you know, you know, this. Unfortunately, I hate to say this, is that your central banks, because of their malfeasance everywhere in the world they don't allow you to be a prudent investor. You are almost forced now with these low rates and the shenanigans that are going on at these central banks to become a speculator. You're forced into becoming a speculator. You know, I don't like trying to, you know, like Bitcoin and these things, it's buy it because it's going up and you know, people uh, try to justify the price, you know, it's just, you're, spe- you're being a speculator and uh, you're guessing, that the price is gonna go up or down. Um, That's not investing. And you can't invest in a low interest rate environment. It's hard to invest, I should say. It's not impossible. It's very difficult because everything is skewed because of all the free money. And we see that with the overvaluations and things like that. So I think I'm looking for things that are undervalued. I'm looking for things that there's going to be a phase change a perception change. And that seems to me to be resource markets and emerging and frontier markets. So uh, that's it for this week. Thanks guys. And uh, we'll talk to you next week.